Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Hey, I asked you to turn to uh, Matthew 24. That's where we're going to be uh, talking initially. But let me just uh, start off with this. You know, a hundred years ago, uh, the world was in chaos. We think the world was in chaos now. It was in chaos back then, too. And uh, it was right after the advent of, uh, of Darwinian thinking and uh, evolution was sweeping uh, the world, and many, many churches were changing their doctrinal statements, their commitment to the truth, their commitment to the Word of God as the Word of God. And uh, one of the things that happened during that time was some really uh, brilliant theologians came up with, you know, what are the fundamentals of the faith? I mean, what is it that, that I mean, if you don't believe these things, you, you just aren't even in the ballpark, and like, obviously, the first one was, you believe the Bible's the Word of God. It's infallible, it's inerrant, it's inspired, and uh, it's the source of truth. And uh, Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. That was another one of the fundamentals. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That was another one of the fundamentals. You know what one of the fundamentals was? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now, they didn't all agree on how exactly it happened, whether it happened in kind of a two-stage thing with a rapture and a second coming, or, or if it was just one big coming, but everybody believed that Jesus is coming back. And you know, it's kind of interesting, one of the thoughts I'd had over the last uh, a couple weeks as I've been thinking about this message and the message we did last week, because this is really part two of what we started last week. Uh, Interestingly to me, I had this thought, and even on Friday, I got an email. I get a kind of a devotional email that is sent to pastors, written by some guy in Seattle, and uh, uh, he's always got some really great thoughts. And the thing he thought that, that, that I found that was interesting that he had to say was he was kind of talking and lamenting about how one of the things that's happened over the last 20, 30 years is we don't talk as much about Jesus coming. And, and, and it's interesting, he, he's right. I've been thinking, you know, it, it, you know, we used to talk a lot about prophecy. We used to talk about Jesus coming all the time. You know, you'd go into churches, and sometimes they have banners. You know, we used to have banners in our church, and those banners will say stuff like, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of those banners that was really common was, Jesus is coming. You don't see that much anymore. And, and it's really a shame, and I think, in, 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 and one of the things that I think is, is bad about it is because we don't live in light of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We don't think about it. Shoot, we put far more 
effort into thinking about, you know, this detail and that detail and that other detail. And the fact that Jesus Christ could show up at any time, that's just, that's just a long way from the center of our thinking. But you know, the truth of the matter is, you go through the New Testament, the New Testament regularly refers to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And like I said, you know, a lot of disagreement and, and, uh, and different ways that people understand it. I think there's a right way. I'm going to preach it today. I'll teach it tonight. But uh, that's a joke, you know, okay? Uh, but no matter who you are, if you really and truly buy into the Bible and what the Bible is teaching, you believe that Jesus is coming back. If, if you don't, I challenge you to really sit and think through your, your philosophy of life because that is one of the basic fundamentals. That's right there with Jesus died for my sins. That's right there with the Bible is God's word. You can't read the Bible without saying, he's coming back. He's coming back. And so what I want to do today is kind of continue what we did last week. You've got your Bible open to Matthew 24. If you're using a phone, uh, I would encourage you maybe to, to pull it up on a, one of those apps. Uh, I use the New American Standard version, so that'd probably be helpful for you to use, choose that version so you could follow along. But anyway, here's what's been going on, okay? Now, uh, we are, uh, I'm just going to skip that for now. But uh, let me go back to this. We've been talking about the book of Matthew. We started it way back in September. And today is kind of the last official day to talk about it. Why in the world did Matthew feel the need to write another telling of Jesus' story? We already had Mark. We already had Luke. In 10 years, God's going to lead the apostle John to write his telling of it. Why did the Holy Spirit felt like it was necessary for Matthew to write. Well, Matthew wrote to Christian Jews, believing Jews, Jews who had come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And this is about 30 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. And he wanted to affirm to them that Jesus really was the Messiah. I mean, they were Jewish people. They had grown up Jewish, and they were always looking forward to the Messiah. And they probably were wondering, was Jesus really the Messiah? Was he really the king? Because I thought the king, the Messiah, was supposed to come and we were going to have a kingdom. He came and he died on the cross for our sins. And that, that's wonderful. I am so glad he died on the cross for my sins. But where's my kingdom? Matthew is telling the story with a special emphasis to explain to us that Jesus really was the king. And here's what happened to the kingdom. And essentially what he's saying is, Jesus, because they rejected him, because they put him on a cross instead of on a throne, Jesus went back to heaven, but he is coming back to establish that kingdom. And the story, the thesis of what Matthew's writing it culminates in chapters 24 and 25. Actually, 
if, if, you know, this was an English high school class that we were analyzing this piece of literature, chapters 26 and 27 and 28, you know, the, the, the stuff that's the good stuff in our mind about, you know, him establishing the last uh, communion and the Garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion and the resurrection, in a way, for Matthew's thesis, not that he didn't see those things as paramount, but they were like the epilogue to his thesis. His main purpose was to tell his readers, these Jewish believers particularly, he's the king, here's how his kingdom is going to come about. And so, two days before, three days before they crucified him, on Tuesday afternoon before they crucified him on Friday, he goes out to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. They sit down on the grass. They're looking out on the city of Jerusalem. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew, we learn that from the Gospel of Mark, they're sitting there close to him, and they said, okay, tell us, what are the signs of your coming to establish your kingdom? What? When is this age of rejection going to end? And we call that the Olivet Discourse. By the way, did anyone use my line last week? Someone says, hey, what was the sermon about? And you said the Olivet Discourse, and you acted like you knew it and they should know it. Anyone do that? Teresa did it. Okay, good. Let me just tell you, if you want to act really smart, you know, really theologically astute, when someone says, hey, what was the sermon about? What, what did Hornock talk about this time? Just say the Olivet Discourse and walk away. And like, you know, if they don't understand it, they really ought to go back to Sunday schools, okay? Just, that's what we used to call it. It happened on the Mount of Olives. A discourse is a discussion, a lecture, a lesson. We call it the Olivet Discourse. I'm just giving you the heads up on that. If you ever tracked this down and you got to reading some Bible commentary, it'll talk about the Olivet Discourse, and you're like, what in the world is that? You know, that's what it is. It's Matthew 25 and 20, or 24 and Matthew 25. And here's, here's the way the Olivet Discourse basically lays out. The first 30 verses of it are Jesus explaining all the signs of his soon return for him to come back and establish that kingdom. And that's that, that, that thing. This is what we looked at last week. He said, hey, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and people are going to turn against each other, and it's going to be a dog-eat-dog type world. And, and man, you just don't even want to be alive during that time. And then you get to chapter, uh, verses 29, 30, 31. Then he describes him coming. Well, then here's where we're going to pick it up. The second big part of it is... Here's the appropriate way you should be in light of his coming. What's the appropriate response to Jesus' return? And why is that important? Why is that important? We'll see. Because he closes off his discussion saying, here's why you need to respond. Here's why you need to be living appropriately in light of my student return. So the whole Olivet Discourse is all about Jesus coming. Now, 
before we jump into it, and I know this is a long uh, introduction, and I'm kind of setting it up, and I'm really challenging you to stick with it, okay? It's a lot of teaching today, okay? But one thing that is, is just a great principle of Bible interpretation is this. You got to always remember that the Bible, all the Bible is for us, but not all of the Bible is to us, okay? I can look at the instructions God gave to Sarah or Hagar or Nehemiah, and those are for me, but those specific things, some of those specific things were directly to Nehemiah or directly to Sarah or directly to Hagar or whoever was talking. So when you read a passage of Scripture, it's always really good to say, okay, this is for me, I can benefit from this, but when there's a command or there's some specific information there, is that to me or was that just to that person or to that person or that person? So you got to kind of put your thinking cap on, but it helps a tremendous amount. So when we get to this passage, this Olivet Discourse, it's really good for us to say, okay, who is this information primarily for? Well, some of you guys kind of know maybe a little bit more than the average bear, and you're saying, well, wait a minute, okay, I really believe Jesus is coming back, but before that, Jesus is going to come and rapture his church away. In fact, I believe, and I do, I believe, and our church believes and teaches that actually before Jesus comes back, seven years before, before the tribulation actually even starts, Jesus raptures his church away. I'll talk more about that tonight. I'll talk about it even a little bit more today. So in light of that, if you really believed in a rapture, like I believe the Bible really teaches, and you come to this passage and say, well, who is this information primarily for? This information about how to be right before the second coming, because we're not talking about the rapture in this passage. We're talking about the second coming. Who is this directly to? It's for all of us. There's principles for all of us here. But who is this directly to? The answer would be those believers that are of the tribulation, those who were left behind at the rapture, but then came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or at least were considering faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here's how they're supposed to respond. So since, since we're looking at that portion, since we're looking at that portion that is, is here's how to respond and how to live appropriately in, before Jesus comes, we got to say primarily... This is to those people. It's not to us, because if there really is a rapture and you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you're not going to be here when a lot of this stuff happens. We're going to be in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4 describes what's going to happen for us. Now, if, if you're unsure about a rapture and you maybe even take uh, the different position on it, all of this stuff really does apply to you. And you still need to pay attention. But even if you believe in a rapture, we need to pay attention because this stuff is going to keep happening and happening and happening. We may not 
be here when it all happens, but we still need to put into practice. So do you see the, 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 the thing I'm pointing out here? So back to the passage. What's the appropriate response? Here's what we're going to see. The appropriate response to the soon return of Jesus Christ is to be vigilant and to be faithful because there's a judgment at the end of it to see who really gets to go into Jesus' kingdom. Because remember, what is Jesus doing? He's coming back to establish his kingdom. Who's going to get to go into his kingdom? Who's going to get to be part of his kingdom? We're going to find out that Jesus is going to have a judgment. It's not the great white throne judgment. It's not the judgment seat of Christ. Those are different judgments. But there is a judgment that this little sermon, this discussion closes. We call it the judgment of the sheep and the goats that determines who gets to go into it. Now, I've, I may have just totally confused you. Come tonight, I'll have a chance to even answer questions and, and all that stuff. But, but back to the passage, okay? So what does Jesus do? He's saying, be vigilant. In light of my soon return, you need to be vigilant. And he tells three stories. One about a fig tree, one about the days of Noah, one about the thief in the night. Look back at uh, chapter 24, verse 32. So he, in 29 through 31, he's just described his second coming. See, now, if you guys would have let me do a two-hour sermon last week, I wouldn't have had to spend the last 15 minutes setting it up, okay? But... We're not into two-hour sermons, okay? So, verse 32, he says, So now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, what things? Rumors of war, people hating each other, the abomination of desolation, people having to run for their lives because life has gotten so horrible. There's death, there's famine, there's disease, all kinds going on rampant like it's describing there in those first uh, several verses of this discussion. When you see all of that stuff happen, recognize that he is near. He's right at the door. It's like he's right outside that door and when all of this stuff is happening, he's going to come in. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away. A lot of people have made all kinds of discussion about what is this generation and who's the fig tree and all this stuff. I'm not going to go into that even right now or even tonight. I'm just saying, you know what he's saying here? Be vigilant because this stuff's going to happen quick. It's going to happen really quick. Look down at uh, this next story. Uh, Verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man is going to be just like in the days of Noah. For as it was in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking. It's kind of an expression for saying they were just living life and they could care less about anything outside of life. They're just having a good old time. They were marrying, giving in marriage. And it was like that all the way up until Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came. Well, the, the sermon this guy's been preaching for the last 120 years, that there is judgment coming, God's going to flood the earth, that's why I'm building this big ark, and if you ain't inside the ark, you are going to die quick. 
They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Who's the them? All these unbelievers. I mean, the only people Noah got on the ark was his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws and his wife. I mean, you want to know success? Noah was a success. Disciple your spouse, disciple your children, teach them to marry in the faith, and you'll be as successful as Noah. Anything on top of that is gravy. Verse 40, there's going to be two men in the field. One's going to be taken. Where, the, where is that one taken? This is not describing the rapture for those that you know a little bit more. This is, that, that one taken is taken off to judgment, removed. Because when the Son of Man comes, remember what the bottom line is? We're going to see who gets to go into the kingdom. The people inside the boat go into the kingdom. The people outside the boat, they get swept off the earth. Because when the kingdom starts and Jesus Christ is reigning, initially it starts with all believers, as all believers. One's going to be taken, the other left. Two women are going to be grinding at the mill. One's going to be taken, the other left. If you're wondering about that, you go over to Luke. I think it's Luke 19, this very same thing. Luke, as he's describing this, even includes the question that the disciples said, well, where are they taken to? And Jesus said, to the place of death. That's the place where the vultures eat you. I mean, this is not describing the rapture. Then he tells one more story, the thief in the night. Therefore, be on alert. See, the whole point of these first three stories is all about being vigilant. For you do not know which day your Lord's coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house, the homeowner, had known what time the thief in the night was going to come, he would have been vigilant. For this reason, verse 44, for this reason, you be ready too. All of these first three stories are all about vigilance. Now, let me just apply it. I mean, Jesus is coming back. I believe, many of us believe, he's coming back initially to rapture the church away. Some say, well, I'm not really sure about that. I just know he's coming back. He's coming back. And whether you are believing that he's coming back to snatch you away, or whether you believe he's just coming back to start the kingdom, either way, it still applies. Be ready. Be vigilant. Are you ready? Are you vigilant? Because if you're not, you're like the people in the days of Noah. And God is building this huge ark, and you're sitting there saying, wonder where we can eat today. wonder how we could use our money to make us happier today. wonder how we could, could do less and enjoy life more because we're just supposed to be here to eat, drink, and be merry. That's the way the people were in the days of Noah. And then the end came like a flood, literally. Jesus is saying that's how it is. And you need to be ready. You need to be vigilant. He goes on. He tells three more. And I know I'm moving real fast here, but he then tells three other stories about being faithful. Because look at verse 
45. Who then is faithful and sensible? Well, let me tell you some stories. And he tells a story about servants, you know, people that work for you. He says, hey, they go off and they doddle, doddle, doddle. They don't know when the boss is going to show up, and those foolish slaves get caught on the job playing around, not doing anything. Look down at verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 25. He tells another story. Ten virgins. These are like the bridesmaids. must have been a big wedding. They're going to have ten bridesmaids at that wedding. I mean, we've had some big weddings in our family, but I don't think we've ever had ten bridesmaids. But five of these bridesmaids are prepared because they've got the oil, and five aren't. What is he saying? You need to be prepared, faithful, and sensible. Then he tells about the parable of the talents. That starts in chapter uh, 25, verse 14, and goes all the way down. He says, man, it's, it's like... This, this really rich guy, and he pulled three of his servants in, and to the first one, if I did my math right, he gave him uh, uh, $32 million and said, hey, can you go see what you do with it? And to the next guy, he gave him $16 million, and to the last guy, he just gave him a peasly, measly $2 million. Five talents, two uh, I, you get read the story. The, the Bible sheds a lot of light on my sermons. I just have to tell you. Uh, the guy with one talent, what did he do? The guy that only got $2 million in today's money, he just went and put it in a bank because he's like, I ain't going to work for this guy to make him a whole bunch of money. The guy that got all the big talents, the five talents, he turned them into 10 talents. He took his $32 million and he turned it into $64 million. And Jesus said when, when the owner comes back, the master comes back, the billionaire comes back and says, hey, guys, how did you do managing my money? He says to the one that turned 32 into 64, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in to this kingdom, to the one that took 8 million or 16 million, 8 million and turned it into 16 million, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the guy that just dug a hole and put the 2 million in the basement and held it, didn't do anything, he said, what a fool. What a fool. You were not faithful. And he takes what that guy has and he gives it to the guy that got 64. What are these parables all about? Be faithful. So here I've skipped through these, these, these things that we love to go through, and you should go through them. But basically all it's been saying is be vigilant and be faithful. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. We are living in the shadow of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Whether you believe he's coming back to rapture you and take you to heaven, which I believe is correct, or whether you say, no, he's just coming back to establish his kingdom. Either way, be vigilant 
and faithful. And here's the question. Are you being vigilant and faithful? Well, the story ends with Jesus telling about a judgment. We call it the the judgment of the uh, sheep and the goats. Look at verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Now, like I said a little bit ago, I don't believe this is the judgment seat of Christ. That's something else. I don't think this is the great white throne. That's something else a thousand years later. But at this point, there is a judgment. And what is that judgment? It is a judgment between the sheep and the goats. Who are the sheep and who are the goats? The sheep are the people who showed compassion towards Jesus' people, and they get invited to come into Jesus' kingdom. Remember that? Look down at uh, verse 35. Jesus is saying there. Skip up to verse 34. Let's do it there. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me some clothes. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous are going to say, when did we ever do that to you, Lord? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, the king will answer and say to you, truly I will say to you to the extent that you have done it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now again, who is he talking to? He's talking to believers who were alive and trying to serve him in those days right before he comes. Who would that be? It'd be those believers living during that time of tribulation that the book of Revelation talks about. Now, does that mean we don't have to take care of the homeless or the sick or any of that stuff? No, this is, this is all for me. Because I'm looking here and saying, God is saying, that's the kind of person I need to be. But who is it directly to? It's actually not directly to me, because I'm pretty sure that the next thing on God's agenda is he's going to rapture me and take me to heaven. If I don't die first. He, he, he the, you know, but does that mean, hey, Richard, you know, you don't have to care about homeless or sick people or go visit people in the hospital. Tough luck. You know, they live in a world of sin. That's the way life has. No, I'm supposed to have all those things there. But who is it directly to? It's directly to those people to see how did they respond during those days leading up to Christ's return at the end of the tribulation. And those that were compassionate towards his people. Who's his people? Jews. The nation of Israel. They're the ones that get invited into the kingdom. What about the goats? Verse 41. 
He will also say to those on his left, see, he had the sheep on his right and he had the goats on his left, depart from me, you cursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil. I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, you didn't give me anything to wear. I was in prison, you didn't do anything for me. And they say, hey, when did we ever see you like that? And he said, when you saw my people and you weren't showing compassion to them. And all of that is, is like this evaluation of how people were functioning prior to the coming of Christ during that time of tribulation. And, and, and so, again, this is, it's not that this isn't for us, but it is, or, or it's not that it, this is for us even though it's, it's directly, primarily, to those people alive at the time of Christ's coming. And then look at, look at verse 46, because you know what this does? Like I said, this finishes Matthew's thesis. That's how the king's kingdom gets established. See verse 46? And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They get to come into the kingdom. Okay, if I have thoroughly confused you, I am sorry. We went through a lot of uh, time. I mean, someone even commented this last week, and they said, you're going to do a chapter and a half in uh, 30 minutes? No, I did a chapter and a half in 20 minutes. It took 20 minutes to set it up. So if I've thoroughly confused you, I apologize. And if you want to be thoroughly confused more, that's a joke, you can come tonight and I'll try to actually straighten it out. I'll do my very best to make it more clear. I'll even invite you to invite, uh, ask a question or two. But you know, like I like to do at the end of just about every sermon, whether you fully tracked with it or not, whether you fully agreed with it or not, it's always good to ask, so what? So what? Okay, if you didn't catch anything, here's what you better catch. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I have to ask you, are you ready? Are you being vigilant and faithful? See, life is so urgent right now. Everything is, is a crisis. Whether it's we need more groceries, I forgot to pay that bill, I got to figure out how to get that thing paid before they shut that off, or I incur a late fee. Got to get over there and talk to the teacher about this thing going on at the school. I mean, everything is important the way we live life these days. But let me tell you what is really important. The last couple verses of the Bible say Jesus is coming. Usually, the last thing someone says is about the most important thing you're supposed to remember. Jesus is coming. I mean, like the old song says, it may be morn, it may be today, Jesus is coming. Are you ready? 
you know, you might sit there and push back and say, well, I don't believe in a rapture. I mean, I read those left behind books. I just left them away. You know, I'm, I'm not into that stuff. Well, great. You still subscribe to a theology that says Jesus is coming. You just think he's coming and then the kingdom. Or he's coming and then the great white throne judgment. But if you are a Bible believer, Jesus is coming. And I just got to ask you, are you ready? Are you living a vigilant life? Are you living a faithful life? I mean, have you figured out that, that tender balance of living in the shadow of Jesus Christ's coming? You know, I mean, we can look through recent history over the last couple hundred years, and yeah, there's people that are like, oh, he's coming back on September 15th, and 1844 and so they all get up on the roof of the of the of the church and they're waiting and waiting and waiting and sure enough Jesus didn't come and so all of a sudden people are like laughing at those that believe that Jesus have come have people taken that prophecy and and gone way too far off on it sure they have but that doesn't mean it's not true and it doesn't mean that the basic thrust of it isn't true Jesus is coming. And that should put a lot of pause in every one of us. Because one of the things that is really clearly taught, just as much as Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming and his return is imminent. He could come before this service ends. He could come before we dedicate the prayer garden. He could come before I have a chance to confuse you more tonight. Jesus is coming. Now, does that mean I go out and load up my credit card and live like there's no tomorrow? Absolutely not. I'm supposed to be faithful and vigilant and a great steward of God all the way up until he comes. But the question is, are you living in light of his coming? Because you should. Because there is a judgment. For the people alive during the time of the tribulation, I believe the, rat, the, the judgment we just saw applies to them. For us, I believe the judgment that applies to us is the one that's referred to in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may be called to account for the things done in this life. When, when, when Paul is talking about it over in 1 Corinthians 3, that was 2 Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians. In, sec, in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about how our lives could be full of wood, hay, and stubble, or they could be filled with gold, silver, precious stone. There is an evaluation. There, the, the Bible is filled with this, this information about how God wants to reward us. Remember, Paul was, was living and he felt confident that he would receive the crown of righteousness. First, uh, second uh, Timothy chapter 4, I think it's verse 8. People, uh, elders of the church, 1 Peter 5, talks about elders of the church who will receive the crown of life if they lead the church well. 
There, there are rewards. There, it, it's like God wants to impart to us gold, silver, precious stone. God wants to, to acknowledge that faithfulness. And it's obvious that he's also going to acknowledge that unfaithfulness, that lack of vigilance. There is a judgment. There is a judgment. It's not, if, if you're here today and, and, and you have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, it's not a judgment to see whether you go to heaven or hell. That was all settled at Calvary. You know, your, your, your eternal security is set. To be absent from the body is to be in a face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. But in the same way that a good parent will sometimes talk to their kids and say, okay, let's talk about this for a minute. I love you. I'm going to take care of you, but let's talk about this. And Because and, I, I want to reward you. I want to give you responsibilities in the future. There's that kind of a judgment or valuation even in the family of God. And I believe that 2 Corinthians 5.10 is, is speaking to it. When we appear before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and he recompenses us. Are you ready for that? Are you living in light of the fact, not, not to put the fear of God in you, even though it should, but not to threaten you, but God is just saying, hey, we're playing for keeps here. We're playing for eternity here. Are you living the life that God has called you to be to do as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Two things I want you to walk away with whether you understood anything else. Jesus Christ could come at any moment and he is going to evaluate. He loves us incredibly. God sent his only begotten son to die for us. It's by grace we've been saved. But there is a time of evaluation. You can't get away from that. Scripture makes it very clear. Are you ready for the final exam. Jesus is coming and there's a judgment. There's a time of evaluation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the pa- the chance that we've had to go through this uh, complicated, long passage. But I thank you that we can walk away with just a very simple truth. And that is that you are going to send your son back. And he will establish that kingdom. And Father, you have provided us with enough information so that we who are his people, we who are benefiting from the work he did the first time he came when he died for us, you want us to be faithful. You want us to be vigilant. Father, you want us to live our lives for you, to make them count for eternity. And I pray, Father, that today we would have that perspective. I pray that, Father, today would have been uh, filled 
not with uh, doom and gloom, not uh, a threat, but I pray, Father, that today would have provided us with great hope and that we really would have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow because great is your faithfulness to us. And so, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for your word. And uh, we pray, Father, that we would be your faithful, vigilant believers. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.